I yell Steve because I don't know where he's at. He says, oh, over here, you know. So we, we go up there, and Steve is sitting on the ground by this stump. He's got the pistol out, holding it with two hands, shaking like this. <laughs> he's just shaking it like this. You should have seen him. You should have seen him. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Tundra Talk. I'm your host, Tyler Friel. And today, sitting with a guy who I've been wanting to get on here for quite a while, Troy Graziotti. Um, thanks for thanks for joining yeah. me today, Troy. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Now, Troy's a pretty experienced bow hunter here in Alaska, and uh, I don't know. I always try to get into telling their <laughs> telling my guest background, so yes. I'll just let you do that. Oh well, yeah, I uh, I, I got into archery and bow hunting in the early '80s, uh, probably about '82 is when I started bow hunting. '82, yeah. '80, well, it was '82, and. Uh, and I, uh, you know, got it involved. I met a few older gentlemen in town, and and uh, they were affiliated with the Golden North. Back then, it was the Golden North Bow Hunter Association, a bow hunting association, not the Archery Association. And it was headed by Keith Clemens, which is a pretty well known guide that uh, helped guide Fred Bear back in the late 50s in the little Delta country. So he was our president and stuff. So anyway, I got kind of intrigued with all that and got into that. And, uh, started my bow hunting you know and i i started out with a compound for a couple of years and i couldn't hit nothing with it yeah i couldn't put a pin on a target to save my rear i mean i just developed target panic right away and and i uh so target panic has existed for more than oh, the yeah. last couple of years <laughs> no doubt about it and you know all phases of archery you can get it you know but uh i just uh yeah i'd fly that pin through the target down at the range and try to release it on time yeah. <laughs> sometimes it would work sometimes it wouldn't but um and then i met a guy and i got into traditional archery just shortly after that um i killed my first big game animal in 84 but the year previous i'd probably had missed like four big game animals with my compound i mean i just just could, could not get a you know even though i was within range i just could not i had target panic so bad and I met a guy named Ted Grover from Colorado in uh, Salida, Colorado. And uh, now, I mean, nowadays he's a pretty well-known bow hunter down there. He was like Colorado bow hunter of the year back in the 80s and stuff. But anyway, Ted had come up here, met a guy in our archery club, and, and uh, they wanted to go up north caribou hunting, you know. And this was 1983. Yeah. Well, I had gone up there one time as you know, a young man, like 18, 19 years old, sheep hunting, and walked in with a rifle. And so they thought I knew the hall road. You know, yeah. <laughs> I didn't really know the hall road at all, but they had known I'd been up there, so they invited me to go. And uh, of course, you know, I had the my little, I had a PSC laser magnum compound, and so we go up there, and Ted opens this case up, and he's got these two beautiful. Bighorn recurves. Back then, they didn't make a takedown, but they were all one piece, and they were called the Grand Slam series. And he shot these these uh, custom recurve bows, you know, and and uh, it kind of intrigued me. And I, I I watched him in camp, and he he let me shoot him. And God, it was so simple. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know, you know. So we were out hunting one day, and uh, me and Ted actually hunted together, and. Uh, we see this really nice big bull caribou bedded up on the hill up by Tulik. You know, everybody's mm -hmm. probably familiar up there, the Tulik Hills. And he's just bedded up there. And so I said, Ted, you know, you know, go for it. So 
I watched Ted through the binoculars. I mean, he just made a beautiful stalk on there, and he gets close to this caribou, and I'm talking like 30 yards, and it's a big bull. It's like a 360-type bull, and uh, the, the caribou stands up, and I just see Ted through the binoculars raise up on his knees. You know, he's got his bow canted, and he looses an arrow and uh, just shoots it right through that caribou, and it just it looks so simplified and so easy and uh it wasn't easy but I, it was uh it just i was hooked ever since i seen that that image you know and so i was shooting his bows left and right now i'm like 19 years old i had uh worked a little bit and i just got out of college my wife was working you know making 500 dollars a month or something like this well i get home from that trip and i want to order a custom Bighorn bow. Well, back then they were three hundred seventy-five dollars. Yeah, and in eighty-two, that was a lot of money. Yeah, but like a good wife, she said, "Yes, and that's what you really want." So anyway, I ended up ordering one from Fred Asbell, and uh, and that was my start of traditional archery, and uh, inspired by that Ted Grover, and uh, we've kept in touch and, and over the years and stuff too. Yeah, I grew up not very far from Salida. Yeah, well, Ted is. Pretty well known there, you know, for uh, in those areas. Of course, he's quite a bit older now. You know, he was older than me. But um, I got to see him like just five or six years ago at a Pope and Young convention. Oh, cool. When it was down in Denver. So we reunited. So it was really cool. And, uh, of course, since then, you know, I'd be, you know, done a lot of traditional bow hunting and stuff. So I thanked him for getting me started. In that. Yeah. That's and, funny. I, as I... I guess I, I mean, I was shooting a bow since I was real little because my dad always did and right. always had the hand-me-down compounds right. and all this. My dad would never let me put sights on them. Right. And he even, I know, I remember oh, when I graduated bows one time, got me an old, like, PSE compound, but he never, right. still never let me put sights right. on them. And, uh, and then got, you know, kind of quit doing it. Basically, yeah, I outgrew that bow. Right. I can't remember exactly when, you know, right. 14, 15 or so, and moved up here and then discovered the wonders of gunpowder. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, because I, I was hunted with my dad and he'd killed a, killed a couple elk with his recurve and, but I don't know how many animals I scared off when I was little hunting with him. Right. And really, I think you had to be 12 to hunt big game down there, so... Wasn't there for that many years, really hunting, and so needless to say, never got a shot and kind of lost interest. And then, uh, what it was, I think, two thousand eleven. No, two thousand four. I, I, my uncle one day told me, "Oh, I signed you up for the bow course like two days before," <laughs> and I hadn't shot a bow in forever. And right, he had old Martin recurve and took that and failed the test by one shot. <laughs> yeah. And so I went and bought a compound and right. and passed the test, but and I hunted yeah. with it a little bit, never killed anything with it, just yeah, just didn't right. shoot it a lot, and I didn't know anything about tuning or anything, and right. then finally I uh, I would spend some time down in Oregon, and a guy had helped me make a self bow, okay, and one spring decided I'm going to kill a black bear with this thing, and just shot and shot and shot and shot and. The, it was two nights before I was going to go out and hunt. That bow exploded on me, <laughs> and luckily my dad had a had a 
Martin longbow that I took out and, and killed a bear with it. Nice. And that really got me hooked. After that, I, I yeah. hardly ever shot the compound. I yeah. finally, I sold yeah. it that yeah. winter, I think, but, uh. Yeah. yeah. So like, and that was in 83. So I got introduced to traditional archery. And then of course my bow came in and since then I had befriended another mentor of mine, John Dodge, which I don't know if many people know of John, but he was probably well known as a, you know, master arrow fletcher. He's the one that put out that Grand Slam series mm-hmm. yeah. uh, yeah, of I've arrows and everything. Well, he had a shop out at North Pole, and I ended up going out there working at his shop for several years, and, and me and him would go hunting and stuff together. But he had made me some longbows too. But that first year, 1984, when I went up there, I did another caribou hunt and stuff, and my first year hunting with a with a traditional gear, I killed a really nice big caribou. You know, I limit out on ptarmigan. It was like twenty yeah. a day. I'd have a big old back quiver full of arrows, and it was. Uh, and then I end up going. Uh, we go. You know, I, that first year I killed like two caribou and just just ton of small game and just you know I it was so much fun. You know? Yeah. And then then I was hooked. There was no reason to go back to. Um, I, I took a lot of grief from a lot of the other people in the club and everything because everybody else was advancing, mm-hmm. you know, changing all the new stuff and everything. And I just kind of stayed the course and what worked, you know. And yeah, I, and it's, I don't know, whether it's a certain type of person that just really gets sucked into the, or can really appreciate the traditional archery stuff. Because, yeah. I mean, I rifle hunt a lot too, yeah. but when I'm bow hunting, man, I, I just yeah. have yeah. not much interest in shooting a compound. Right. Not right. to say that there's anything wrong with it. Right. But, uh, yeah, I have, you know, a ton of friends that shoot them and, and, uh, my kids shot them, you know, started out with them and, you know, I have nothing. It just, just wasn't for me. I tried it and then I, I felt like I found something that fit me a little better and, uh, and I just enjoyed it more. And it, it's challenging. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's, you know, you got to stay on top of your game if you're going to, you know, you, you're shooting. You know, it can get out of it can get away from you if you don't stay, you know, oh, on top yeah. of it. And uh, but then you know, gradually through the years, I I you know hunted every year, and I usually take some kind of animal, bear, moose, or you know, goat. And you know, I've killed most of the big game in Alaska. A few things I haven't, and uh, kind of jinxed a little bit on grizzly bear. I've missed a few of them. That oh man, right under, right over type of thing. Oh yeah, and, uh, but you know. Well, if you're interested and you're you're in town sometime this spring, we might have to talk about that. Yeah, about fixing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, so yeah, I've been I've I got my goals set on that, and uh, but I've always been a sheep hunter. I, I I love sheep hunting. You know, you probably know and seen that's my passion, and uh, started that as a young kid reading all the old. You know, sheep hunting books from Elgin T. Gates to C.J. McElroy and all those those mm-hmm. adventures. Just you know, James Clark and stuff. And then I just uh, I I just got my, but I didn't have any mentors sheep hunting. You know, yeah. I kind of did that on my own. And uh, it's a my, steep learning curve. <laughs> steep learning curve. And you probably a lot of people. You know, I'm sitting here now, a little bit older, wishing that if I only knew, you know. What I know today, if I only knew it back then, I'd probably have a dozen of these ramps with my bow. Yeah, you know, uh, but it, it was all fun. Every 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 trip's an adventure and a journey. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, and I guess to get back when you said you got target 
target panic and that's i don't know it's talked about quite a bit but i had it bad after i switched and part of that was i don't know my my dad had shot recurves for a long time but we're i don't think he had anyone really right. mentoring him and showing him right how to do it quote unquote properly or whatever but i know when i started shooting it i got so bad where i couldn't even reach my anchor oh, and yeah. i would let it go <laughs> well that's I mean, what it is you, you know, know that and i even and then he would tell me to try to fix it you know right now draw your bow and hold at your anchor and don't shoot and i couldn't do it no matter right. how hard i try, i could not do it i finally had to start pointing it like inside at the wall or something well, that i, I couldn't I, shoot <laughs> i went through that too i'd shoot, i'd point at the car in the garage to, to keep from shooting i'd have my wife down there counting yeah you know okay <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna pull it back you count to three and i'll release but uh even you know even with uh traditional gear it gets where you know because your eye is triggering your release yeah you know, you get a couple inches from your anchor and your mind is screaming, shoot, 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 because yep. your eye is telling you you're on, you know, but you're really not because you have to, you know, settle that rear, rear sight in, which, you know, is your anchor. Yeah. And, uh, so you have to overcome that and it's tough. And I used to shoot a lot and that was probably a little bit of the problem. I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for shooting a lot, but I, I cannot shoot like that anymore. I like to shoot. I'd rather shoot a dozen real quality arrows. Yeah. Where I where I can stay mentally focused on what I'm doing, and uh, you know, even six arrows. You know, if 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 I have it shot for a while, just and then set it down, go do something, come back and shoot another four or five, six good quality arrows. Yeah. But to rip off fifty, sixty arrows like we used to and. You know, by the time you're done, you're short drawn this and you're mentally can't focus on what you're looking yeah, at. Yeah, and that's one thing I noticed even, even even when I was well aware of what's going on, like you go shoot a 3D course and even if I'd been shooting a ton, I always would have a hard time not deteriorating right. throughout that course, just the mechanics. And one, I don't know if it had anything to do with it because for years I shot competitive service rifle and for shooting standing you shoot at 200 yards and iron sights right. and i trained by shooting a dot on the wall and you can never like a bow sight you can never hold that sight perfectly still right and so i train myself to break the trigger as soon as the sight picture lines up so you're you know you're yeah train as soon as you get that visual stimulation of your sight picture lining up it breaks and then which you know, probably wasn't good for my archery because I couldn't, I can't shoot well fast. Like right. some guys can shoot really consistently where you call it snap shooting, but the guys that really can shoot well consistently fast, I, they're not, they're, everything's consistent and lined up. It's not necessarily snap shooting. They're just doing everything and then right. breaking it as soon as they, they hit that yeah. point, it seems like. Yeah, and I, I've done some of that, too. And then, you know, for years, because I had that, I even had target panic where I would short draw it, and but I got very consistent with it. But when you don't have that solid anchor, you're never going to find your potential, right? You're never going to shoot as good as you could. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you limit your range very short and you're satisfied with, you know, pie plate targets, you can get away with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But as soon as that distance goes out a little bit and you need to, you know, fine tune that, that target to a little smaller, um, you gotta have an, you gotta have an anchor, a consistent anchor. Yeah. You know? And, uh, 
you know, it's a struggle. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, and uh, sometimes I'll throw a, I got one of those clickers that I go on the top of the limb. So it's just an audio. Yeah. It's not a visual. Sometimes I'll put that on there to straighten myself out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different methods, you know. Yeah. And people say, oh, you're overbowed. You're overbowed. It's not that because I can take a, back in the day, I could take a 90 pound bow and pull it all the way back and hold it for 10 seconds. Yeah. Right? You can give me a 50-pound bow, and I have to aim, put it on the target. And like I said, it yeah. was just your eyes triggering because you're is saying you're there. Shoot, shoot, shoot. But you got to get back to anchor. So you're – but, you know, but yeah. Yeah, that whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah, it's a struggle. It's frustrating, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, when, you, when it feels like you can't get it repaired. But you can. You just got to slow down a little bit and uh, – and, you know, mentally focus, even if it takes one arrow or two arrows. Yeah. One or two good arrows, right? Bow hunting. Yep. First arrow's really important. Yeah, I mean, for, and for me, I mean, I got my, finally got my bag hung up in the yeah. garage and just been working on rebuilding my shot. And that, that's what fixed it ultimately was just shooting at a blank bale. Yeah. With no exactly. target, just focusing on one, one, one part of my mechanics at a time, you know, because I... Yep. Anytime I start thinking of all this different stuff, it, it just flies right. out the window. But I, I just build the muscle memory from one part of it at a time, then right. move on to the next thing. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. I guess moving on to, like, really interesting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've, you've done quite a bit of guiding up here, too, haven't you? Well, you, you uh, guided for Stan several years? I did. I, I guided for Stan for five or six years. You know, Stan been a lifelong friend of mine. You know, he was one of the originals back in the day when I told mm-hmm. you we had Golden North Bow Hunting Association, him and Chadwick and uh, some of the local guys. So uh, when Stan decided to uh, become a guide, Several years ago, you know, he wanted to become an exclusive bow hunting guide. So, of course, he reached out to his friends because they, you know, he would love to have bow hunters guiding bow hunters. And uh, so I said, yeah, you know, I'll yeah. help you out, you know, even though I knew I couldn't, you know, it kind of takes away from your hunting time, you know, and and uh, which was a premium because I worked on the slope yeah. pretty much my whole career. So, you know, uh but you know, I helped him out, and I end up ta- I, I end up guiding some black bear hunters for him, and then moose hunters yeah. is what uh, what we did. And we had a lot of good, a lot of good times. We had a lot of good fun. Oh you know, yeah, shot some uh, in, uh, interesting stuff. But after five or six years, I decided I want to <laughs> yeah. I want to hunt, and I didn't have enough time to do it and guide for Stan to work on the slope and all that. So yeah, and that's I, the biggest thing for me is you know. I'll, done a little bit of guiding here and there but just i'll place a high value on having the time <laughs> for myself yeah, yeah exactly but so, uh like, there's one story in particular i'm trying i want i really well, want you to tell and, and then if you yeah i don't i don't know if you, i don't know if you have any others that'll top that uh, but <laughs> probably probably not in the guiding thing oh well except a black rock I, I got one We'll start with that moose hunt. I, I know which one you're referring to, and it, it basically was the last hunt that I guided for Stan. Yeah. I kind of put the nail <laughs> in the coffin for my guiding uh, experience, but um, I had a it was a it was a last hunt, you know, so it went up to the twenty fifth of September and I had a guy from Nevada. Um yeah, and he was a good bow hunter and you know he'd He'd hunted a lot of that desert country, you know, mm-hmm. long-range mule deer hunting and stuff like this, you know, with a bow. And 
and was a successful bow hunter. So about, I don't know, I wouldn't even say it was a week before the hunt was going to start. Stan comes up to me and says, hey, old buddy, uh, got a little twist on your hunt here. He said, uh, Steve wants to bring his girlfriend and just, you know, to be there with him. And, and now these aren't young people. They're, they're in their 50s, yeah. you know. So, you know, I need you to do it like a two-on-one. But, you know, she's not hunting. But, you know, I'm thinking, oh, okay. And uh, I said, well, okay, I guess I can do that. That'll be fine, you know. And, well, that it, for being a guy, that is a lot of extra work, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, you know, you got to feed them, you know, all this stuff, you know, get them ready in the morning. You're trying yep. to move something. And so I meet them. They're great people. And uh, we fly in and we're all set up in camp and everything. We have a, you know, we have a good lookout point we're going to hunt off of. And I got a little river boat. And, and she kind of makes it clear that she wants to be involved with the whole thing. You know what I mean? There, step yeah. by step, you know, which is fine. But so the first night. We got this big tent with a wood stove, and normally how it does, everybody gets in their sleeping bag, and, you know, I stoke up the wood stove, you know, get everybody toasty warm, and they fall asleep, and, and uh, in the morning, you get up and start yep. to stoke the stove up, you know. <laughs> well, I think I just fall asleep after feeding everybody, and everybody's toasty, you get the stove going, we all fall asleep in the middle of the night. She's saying, Troy, Troy. And I hear her and I wake up and I'm cold, I'm freezing. Can you can you start the stove? You know, <laughs> I am cold too. I don't want to get out of my bag either. But oh I get up, I have to start another fire and everything. So anyway, she she had brought it. Her sleeping bag wasn't sufficient enough. But Stan flew in the next day and he had another bag and so we doubled her up and that was fine. But it was gonna be one of those type of things, you mm -hmm. know. And uh so we'd hunt hard, you know, I'd get everybody ready and uh take off in the morning the river boat and and everything and uh we'd glass 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 and what happened it was an early freeze up year things were starting to freeze up mm -hmm. early and so all the little side sloughs and stuff like that had ice on them and and even the flooded areas had ice on them and moose just don't like walking in that stuff yeah so um i think the moose were moved off the river and up on the hill sides of the hill and uh this guy had brought you know, I had a, I had my good spotting scope, you know, and uh, my Zeiss binoculars. But this guy showed up <laughs> because he's from Nevada. I think we had fifteen thousand dollars worth of glass on that ridge. Yeah, because he had the big twenty by sixty, you know, shake-proof Zeiss binoculars on tripod and another big spotting scope, and so we were really scouring very good. But anyway, so. We, we hadn't done any good. We hadn't seen any moose, uh, hadn't had any stocks. And uh, so the 24th, the day before the season, you know, we're up there glassing and way up on a, on a hillside, <sighs> spot a bull. And he's a good bull, you know, and he's up there. And I, I'm figuring he's at least a half a mile off the river, you know, up in the mm -hmm. trees. And, you know, mile and a half, two miles down the river, but. I knew I couldn't do it with Linda, his girlfriend, you know. So yeah. I built her a fire up there and leaned to and I left the movie Camry with her. And I said, I want you just to film here. But Linda, we got to go and do it because I'm running out of time. You yeah. Know? And uh, 
but we'll see how that goes. And she said, okay, that's fine. I'll just stay here. And, you know, I said, we're right over there. So I left her up there so we could do it. So we could really get after it, you know. Well, we get up there. We motor down the river, climb the ridge, through the willows. Well, you get up there, every, you know, willows are over your head. You really don't. So I think we're in the general area. So I make a, a bull call. And this bull stands up. And he's about 100 yards away. And he's looking our direction, he's looking our direction, and I try a little cow call, and he's he's interested, but he's not coming, you know. Yeah. Well, then I see he's got a cow with him, you know, and I said, well, he ain't going to leave her. And he, he, he actually beds back down, and he looks right at us, you know. And he's got like a 60-inch rack. It's late, it's in the afternoon now, late in the afternoon, and I'm like, you know, we got to make something happen here. So I, <laughs> I told Steve... Well, another thing is he shows up and he's got three arrows in his quiver. Yeah. And I, I did say, you know, you're not going to bring any. He said, no, I'm good. You know, I'm, and I, I knew, I, I'm sure he was a good shot in Nevada. Yeah. You know? But uh, anyway, so we go, uh, I said, listen, I want you to stay right behind me. I'm taking this shoulder blade. We're going to whack these willows and we're going to walk right at them and I'm going to be grunting like a bull. You know, we're going to force this issue. So, and that's exactly, and I said, once he starts coming, I said, let him come. You'll be able to shoot him at 15 yards. You yeah. Know? Well, we do that, and we get going, and we're probably 50 yards or 40 yards into it, and that bull gets up, and he starts raking his horns, and he starts coming just like planned, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in his bedroom now, right? So, And so I kind of step aside and let Steve get ready, and the bull's coming, and he's, he'll walk right up to us. Yeah. Well, Steve takes a shot at about 30 yards, according to us, you know, and he hits the bull good, but I'm, I'm sure he only got one lung, you know, Yeah. and the bull kind of takes off and I'm saying, well, get another arrow in him when he shoots that one over its back and it rattles through the window. Uh, so we have one arrow left and the bull, uh, lays down. You know, I said, okay, we watch him a little bit. And I'm calling and trying to calm the moose down this whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those clear, cold days where, you know, it echoes through the valley. Yeah. And uh, anyway, the bull lays down. I said, okay, I'm going to circle the, uh, above him so he doesn't run uphill anymore. But I said, when he stands up, I said, you walk below him. When he stands up, you should be able to shoot him. 15 yards well we do that and <laughs> i don't know if he didn't wait for the bull to stand up or what but anyway he shoots over its back and that arrow goes wild through the wheels oh, and man. it's gone so now i mean this bull's getting weak but he's you know a moose can live a long time on one lung it's getting starting toward evening and i'm like <laughs> wow and we don't we can't you know we don't have any more arrows yeah right? And uh, I'm trying to think what to do, what to do, you know, and I'm calling. And well, finally, I determined there's only a couple hours of daylight left. I said, this bull might not, might not die, you know, on it while we're here. Mm -hmm. I said, I need to go back. I need to go get you some more arrows. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I said, where are they? Oh, they're under my cot in the tent. You know, I said, I'll go back up to the the ridge and get Linda, you know, cause I can't leave her in the dark up yeah. there. Right. It's everything's kind of closing. Yeah. And this is a, 
decision-making of a guide here. Okay, yeah. I've got a bull up here that's wounded, client with me. I got his girlfriend this way, a couple miles, <laughs> arrows six miles down river this way, you know. The river's freezing up. I'm like, God, you yeah. know, does it get any better than this? So anyway, we saw so I had a 454 Casul. And I handed this to Steve. I said, Steve, sit right by the stump. Watch your bull. You know, he's probably going to expire, but we can't guarantee that. I said, and here's some, you know, here's a pistol. and I'm going to go back. and get. So I run down the hill and through the willows, get to the boat. I run up to a climb this 500 foot bluff huffing and puffing get linda let's go we got bull down but we got to we run her all the way to camp she gets his arrows i motor all the way back and then she wants to be involved in this so now i have to hand step her back up the hill yeah so the good part of the story is 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 coming so we get up there i yell steve because i don't know where he's at he says over here you know so we we go up there and Steve is sitting on the ground by this stump. He's got the pistol out, holding it with two hands, shaking like this. He's just shaking it like this. You should have seen him. You should have seen him. <laughs> and I'm saying, see what? Well, you know, like I said, I had been calling for an hour. Mm -hmm. Cow calling, bull calling, anything to kind of make this bull that we got, you know. And he watched the bull expired about an hour after I left. So, but we must have called this other bull in. Well, this other giant bull came up, and he was—he was—he was one of those bulls that was really upset. I mean, yeah. red eyes, drooling, and he came in hot and heavy. And just Steve said he was so scared to even move because this bull looked like he just wanted to charge anything, right? And uh, the cow was up the hill a ways. Well, he—that bull went right by Steve. Steve's just holding this pistol, just hope he doesn't attack him. Yeah. And this bull goes by Steve, past the bull laying there, didn't mind, because the wind was kind of blowing up the hill. Yeah. Got up toward the cow and then smelt his bull that was laying on mm -hmm. the ground dead. Because it was, you know. And he, Steve said that bull just turned around, looked down with that red eye, tilted his head, and just charged his bull. Now, his, his bull was, was 59 and a half inches. It was a big bull. And it just scooped his bull up with his horn and threw it down the hill about 20, 30 yards. Jeez. And, I mean, he showed it all to me. He said, Troy, this bull was so big that came in. He compared his to like a four-corn mule deer. Yeah. He said, and that was like a big, you know, five-by-five five mule deer in Nevada. Man. The bull that came in. But he was so scared and he was happy. But it was like, uh, it was, you know, I'm like, man. Why didn't that bull come in earlier? Yeah. You know? But uh, he said it was just a giant bull and, and uh, a heck of an experience. So, of course, Stan had been coming in checking on us. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, he was. So the next day, the last day he came in to get us and me and Steve were packing that bull across. He flew over and seen that. He was real happy about that. So, yeah. But, <laughs> but just think of the power to lit because oh. a 60 inch bull moose is oh huge oh. animal oh you and you know he he i too bad we didn't have it on video yeah but we left the video see up there with her yeah know? and uh but yeah he said he it just scooped that big bull up and just tossed him down the hill and you could see where the bull was laying yeah and where it was i'm like he said no that bull did that to him as Jeez. soon as he caught wind 
of you know that other bull he just turned his head like this and just charged he was just pissed wait waiting to attack something man steve said if he would have cracked a twig or something yeah <laughs> that bull would have attacked him that's how hot he came in but anyway that was uh in the finish the story you know steve was older so he couldn't pack you know but just maybe the the horns and maybe a rib cage or something yeah so here i'm packing every quarter you know i'm falling flat face into the tussocks and stuff and leaving one there running up getting the other one and you know trying to get everybody back to camp so the next day i went back up and i got all the quarters to the river bank and the river was freezing up oh. so i'm sliding over sheets of ice and it was quite the adventure and i thought you know this hunt was probably a good one just to yeah. kind of end it <laughs> of all adventures of guiding but uh but it all worked out he was happy and you know i was happy we got him one and it was quite an experience so yeah that was uh biggest bull i've ever seen on the hoof was over at the lake oh yeah yeah, yeah. and jeff co had yeah. a client down at the end in, calling yeah, and it was I'm just familiar with it yeah and it was just dead calm you could i could hear jeff calling from camp wow that's pretty far too so. and he was kind of in that spruce down at the very north end of the lake right. and then i just hear <laughs> and i'm like that doesn't sound like jeff and spotting scope get over there and through that clearing kind of at that end of the lake about the biggest bull moose I, I think i've ever seen right we saw one we figured was 72 the next week and this one was bigger yeah yeah there's some big bulls in that country not super high density but the ones that are there you know stan's killed some big bulls there. yeah you know and uh i was actually on the hunt when uh mr james and larry d jones um gary guided him but i was had another client on that same time so we were in camp together but that's when larry shot that boone and crockett bull yeah and uh mr got a nice bull that trip too so yeah that was that was pretty interesting no it was a lot of good times but like i said it takes up your whole you know whole uh honey season you yep. know especially with my work schedule so and uh the only other one i had a gal from uh and stan had a really nice black bear camp it ended up getting all burned up out here in the flats when the big fire went through several years ago. But um, And uh, I had a gal from Kansas. Uh, I think it was an all-gals hunt or something he ended up promoting. And so there was all these lady bow hunters in camp. And uh, I had Anna in camp. And uh, we had a good stand and everything. But uh, we were sitting in camp in the middle of the day and... Here comes this big old black bear down the trail, <laughs> kind of coming into camp. And I'm like, Anna, get your bow, get your bow. And uh, this bear comes walking right in. And uh, I don't know if it was, what was in there. It was either the four-wheeler or a wood pile or something. We were right there, and the bear's coming right at us. And I'm saying, don't shoot, don't shoot. You know, wait till he turns sideways, sideways, and we're on the ground, you know. And I think I grabbed the camp shotgun as a backup and i'm kneeling behind her and and she pulls her back at full draw and i'm saying don't shoot and he's coming closer and closer and i'm saying don't shoot he'll turn he'll turn well he's not turning yeah you know well at eight steps she couldn't hold yeah. it anymore and she drilled it right through his chest and went all the way through the bear and it was a 18 and three quarter inch bear that's a big bear so it was a pope and young bear yeah. we shot right in camp but 
you know, really close. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lady to begin with, because she was starting to shake. Kneeling down on the ground. And she's yeah. got me in her ear saying, don't shoot, don't <laughs> shoot. Wait till he turns. And he ain't turning. She said, hell with you. And yeah. <laughs> shot anyway. So anyway, but that was that was all fun. So. Oh, yeah. That's funny. And yeah. all speaking of bear stories, there, look, I said I had a funny story about oh, this, yeah. this arrow that related to that big biggest grizzly bear i've killed mm-hmm. and uh i'm holding it so easton xx75 orange shaft old 2213 anyway so long story short i had shot that grizzly bear mm-hmm. and he only ran about 35 yards or so and, and piled up and good shot <laughs> we go over there and and well and and it was funny because when i shot him he just went tearing right through the middle of this big alder and got right. stuck for a second. Right. I thought for a second, I thought he's going to die on this thing. And then right. pulled through and just kind of down over this little lip and, and died. But uh, we, uh, my cousin was with me, go go over there and just kind of, man, what the heck are we going to do with this thing? <laughs> and set my backpack down and I see this knock sticking out of the moss. And uh, look down, look back over and it's pointed right back at where... The old, we had an old blind set up, you know, or my uncle did years and years ago and pull it out. And I'm thinking, man, (laughs) these look, this looks like the arrows my dad used to shoot when I was a kid and, and got to thinking. And I said, the only, aside from me, he's the only one that ever took a bow on that stand bear hunting. And, uh, and that was when we were still living in Colorado when I was about eight, nine, ten years old, he'd come up for a summer right. and uh to work and they, they went bear hunting and he had it was a slow year and, and my uncle just left him in the blind all night and it <laughs> was super cold that spring, I guess. Anyway, this black bear comes in and he shoots it through the ear. Like he just plucked the string or something and shot uh-huh. it through the ear. Then the thing came back and he killed it. But uh to brought it back and showed it to him sure enough that's the that's arrow what, he put that through that black bear's ear you know 15 years before isn't that crazy that's, and it was just sticking so out cool. there the feathers are all you know oh, rotted yeah. away but yeah i thought yeah. that was pretty slick in fact his somewhere he's got that bear rug still and you can feel in his ear that broadhead notch went through <laughs> yeah like i said uh i think that broadhead is an old king of the forest punched out i th- <clears throat> i think so i think yeah. you're right yeah, like I said, I got a whole coffee can of those all rusted up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, uh, yeah, and uh, but I also wanted to talk to you about sheep hunting too. Oh yeah, you've killed you killed a couple sheep with your recurve. Yeah, I've, and I've actually killed three sheep. Three sheep with my with my recurve. Uh, one is a bighorn down mm-hmm. in Colorado. I drew a tag in their you know early two thousands and went down there on a solo hunt and spent. 16 days running around the mountains there and end up killing a nice bighorn with my recurve there. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to remember if I'd seen pictures of that one. Yeah, yeah, I got some. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, um, the doll sheep, you know, I started hunting them back in 81. I, I killed one ram with a rifle, and that was, like I said, I was really green, packed in with probably 60, 70-pound packs, you know, just – that's totally not, doing everything wrong. It's not it? that unusual. Well, no, <laughs> it, it's not, but I've sure advanced a lot more than, uh, but I ended up getting a ram and, uh, 
with a rifle and stuff. And that was the only ram I've killed with a rifle. Then when I took up bow hunting shortly after that, you know, that was my ultimate challenge. Uh, I set for myself was to kill a, you know, kill a ram with a bow. I, other people had done it. Not a lot of people back then, you know, there was only, I wouldn't even say there was a dozen people that had killed a, a doll sheep with a bow back then. Yeah. And, um, but, um, I went every year, Tyler, for a long time. As a matter of fact, if in our inner circle here, you talk to Stan and Tom and Gary, all those guys and stuff, and uh, I would go every year, and I'd come back empty-handed. It just wasn't working out, you know. Uh, I'd get into some sheep, but mm -hmm. I just couldn't couldn't get an arrow in one and couldn't make it happen. But um, but I just enjoyed the journey and the adventure so much. It basically what I even call today. I mean, my sheep hunting today is mental and physical therapy. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, with, you know, you're working, raising a family, whatever. You have a lot of stresses in normal life. Uh, getting out in the mountains, you know, just cleanses you a little bit. And so I always went with an attitude that uh, my goal is to kill a ram, but I, uh, it was, it's mental and physical therapy for me, and it was. Uh, so I kind of took it that, but it took me over twenty years to get get one right before I finally broke the ice. And it's uh, not super encouraging. <laughs> no, well, you're you you got a little more you know uh, experience than I had, and like I said, I I just messed up on a lot of a lot, yeah. of, a lot of times. Like I said, I probably should have at least have six or eight rams. You know, uh, I just did things wrong. You know, it was a learning curve. Oh yeah, and with sheep. They don't let you learn a second time too often. You got to come back next year and try again because they don't give it to you again yeah. on the same trip. So, uh, but um, when it finally I got one, it was you know it was a solo hunt and uh, you know it was magic. You know, yeah, was, I bet that sure that made it. Oh, it was <laughs> uh, it was really uh, really yeah, felt really good. It was a beautiful day and stuff and. Uh, Basically, what I had learned over time is I go a lot lighter than yeah. I used to, so I can move, you know, move, 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 and because uh, I, I don't, you know, in 30 years of sheep hunting, I've only flown in twice, and one of them was, I told you about that, on the Charlie Boyd Strip, which is really not a fly-in hunt. Yeah. The other one was in the Talkeetnas, but uh, everything's been a walk-in, you know, from Alaska Range, Wrangles, Brooks. And uh, that's why my knees are wore out right yeah. now. But uh, but anyway, um, I, I finally located some rams. And, uh, you know, I was a lot more patient with them, you know, patterned them. And uh, and was able to, to uh, you know, by, by the first ram I killed, I shot at five yards. That's pretty incredible there. Yeah. Uh, and what happened was I had uh, these rams... You know, like a lot of rams do, you know, early, early in the morning, they'll like to go down on the bottom, especially if you're in the upper basins, you know, they'll come down to water and, and eat some of that vegetation low on the creek bottom, but early in the morning, mm -hmm. and then they'll work their way back up to bed. Well, they were kind of in a back bowl area where I couldn't approach them very well, but I could see what set of rocks about three quarters of the way up the mountainside that they would usually end up in bedding you know so finally i got up and one morning they were were down in the bottom or just starting to come up and I, you know my camp i was i, I camped just probably a couple miles from them but i just started headed up toward those rocks yeah and uh 
where in my younger day, I would have whittled my way down the creek bottom and tried to boulder to boulder it to try to catch them on the bottom and screw it all up, mm-hmm. you know. Where this, I mean, those sheep were way down the bottom. And I mean, I'm headed to a spot that, you know, they're they're three quarters of a mile from, you know. Anyway, I ended up getting up there. Uh, took me a lot longer than them because they ended up kind of getting there, kind of I did. I didn't know where they were, but I started working my way through these little pinnacle croppings and uh, some big old slabs of rock right there and stuff. So I was just kind of peeking over and, um, God, I peeked over and bam, right below me about 12 yards away. Here's this nice ram. And uh, he's got his head into the hill, so I could just kind of see his back and his butt. And uh, so I back off, and I get an arrow ready, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to look over, and hopefully he'll feed out, and I'll get a shot at him. So I'm just kind of leaning up against this rock, kind of just got my arrow on there. And all of a sudden, I see these horns coming up. Well, these are little sheep beds, you know, up on those pinnacles. Well, he jumps right up on this little pinnacle with me. I mean, we're literally five steps away from each other, you know. But I'm so close. I'm leaning up against this rock slab. I, I He just looks right through me. And he kind of looking down the valley, you know. And when he just looks down the valley like he's fixing the bed, you know, I just slowly draw back. And, you know, I said, well, I can't miss it. Five steps. Yeah. <laughs> and I hit him really good. And, you know, he went down the hill 20 30 yards you know and piled up but you know and he was a good ram he had he was 38 and a half you know in uh probably a 70 degree day sunny and i just kind of sat by that sheep and admired him and looked up in the sky and said thank you lord and just you know it, it happened and uh and then i started catching on a little bit about how i watched there was three sheep there i, I watched that set a three for a couple of days before I made my move, you know, and I realized, well, God, it didn't really seem that, I mean, I, I was lucky and I, I got a little philosophy and theory on, yeah. on my sheep and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, the next year I didn't get a ram, but I had a really great stock and the stock went a hundred percent perfect. I mean, I got probably 15 yards from a nice ram where I made the mistake was, is, uh, I had to go up and over a mountain. You can do that in the Brooks Range. Uh-huh. You can't do that in the Chugach. I can do yeah. that right now. But uh, there was two rams, you know, a nice one too. And he, he was a, you know, I would have really liked to get him. But yeah. uh, um, there was just, I watched him for a good, God, half a day. There's just two rams on that mountainside. Well, anyway, I finally made a move, went around the mountain, come over the top because I could see where they were going to bend. Mm-hmm. Well, I get up there and I start working my way down the mountain, checking all these little bedding spots. And I look over and I see the little one, just a little half curl. Yeah. And then I see the butt of this other one sticking out right below me. I mean, 10, 15 yards. Well, he's bedded because then he's disappeared. So I have to sit up there for a couple hours. Now, I'm just literally not very far from yeah. the sheep. And they don't usually let you stay that close to them very long. But... Anyway, I'm waiting and waiting, and uh, finally I take a look, and the little one's up, and then he's got a, there's a big one with him, and they're walking away. I'm like, I was kind of disappointed, but they were still within range, about 30 yards. And, yeah. Um, 
I thought, well, I better, you know, if I'm, they're getting further away, and uh, if I'm going to take a shot, I should take a shot. Anyway, I shot, and I think I can't remember if the arrow flew right over or right under, but one of those. Yeah. Of course, the rocks, you know, make all the arrow makes all the noise on the rocks. Those sheep go scampering up, and I'm sitting there on my little flat rock that I've been laying on, right? And all of a sudden, Curly Q comes flying out from underneath me from 10 yards away. Oh, man. At a dead run. So the other ram was, was a good ram, too, but... But I just mentally didn't focus on the yeah. horns. Uh, but he was a little different ram than the one that I... You know, yeah, because you'd only seen two. I'd only seen two, and I'd glassed and watched those two feed. They were up feeding, moving around. The, you know, that's all I could see on that hillside. But there was a third ram there. And if I would have known that, you know, I would have held out for the one that was below me. But I thought that one was the other one. Yeah. So I took a desperation shot, kind of why they were walking away and and then old curly q come running out below me so oh, i messed man. it up but the positive of that was the stock worked right yeah i had planned the stock and you know i got i it just uh so you know the stock worked and i was happy with that now i was talking about a little bit of philosophies that i have with sheep hunting you know how they have that seventh sense to them mm-hmm. or whatever that you know they just don't let you stay close to them very long yeah without sensing you you know and uh so i've got this little thing in my mind that okay you know i got to get in their house which i consider the mountain they're on is their house yeah once i'm once i'm in their house then i say i have to get in their living room and that to me is about 100 yards 125 yards you know mm-hmm and uh, that's when it starts getting tricky. And then I say, I got to get in their bedroom. And that means, that, I mean, everything slows way down there. But because you just can't let them see you or you can't let them sense you, you know. But you got to get in their bedroom. And after all that, I'm a firm believer the sheep still has to do something good for you. Yeah. You can't do it all. He has to do something to make it happen to give you a shot because... I've been in their bedroom, and um, you can't get a shot off unless they actually, you know, do, do something for good to you. I mean, like that sheep came up to his bed where that I was already there, right? That that first one I got, and then the uh, I was on a ram one time. I should have killed him. I was right, probably sixty yards from him. He was bedded on a point. But that point had three little fingers that ran out. And I was on the middle one, which looked like the one he would come back up and feed. And he'd mm-hmm. feed right into me. Well, when he got up, he ended up taking another one. And he fed, you know, directly until he got by me. And uh, it was out of range. But he just didn't do something good for me. Yeah. And that's you know? one of the things I've thought. Because, yeah, like I mentioned, I am soon approaching to where I'm just going to have to take my just take my bow yeah. and there can't be a rifle around yeah. but just and part of the thing is because i've never ha- tried to get that close because i don't want to be that close right and there i mean there's been several times where we're in inside 30 get inside 30 yeah. yards from them and man they just they pick up anything oh yeah you know they, they can al- almost see straight behind their head yeah you know oh yeah they'll they just don't let you stay in that zone very long. And that's you know? one of those things that's you know, that I've thought about is, 
okay, so what if I do get to 15, 20, 25 yards and I know they're, they're right, you know, he's bedded on the other side of this rock. Do I draw my bow and step out? Is he just going to explode? Is he going to stand, you know, it's just a lot of unknowns or do, or am I better off? And it grant, you know, just questions I'm at run, you know, in these made up scenarios in my head. It's like, do I just, you know, and that's something like that. Would I just wait, sit there and wait for him to get out, you know, to get well, up? And I, if you're in range, you know, you can get a, like both the sheep that I killed, the dolls, you know, were slightly quartering to me just because that's the way they, you know, were, they weren't court, they weren't head on or nothing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you can get an arrow one. You're probably going to get that sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all that stuff is goes racing through your mind. That's another thing. You got to make the shot, right? Mm-hmm. So after all that work and you know you're, all those blisters and everything, yeah. now, now now the pressure's on. You got to make the shot, and uh, so it all has to come together. But you know, you've killed plenty of rams and stuff. I, it's tough to watch them walk away. I've watched a lot of nice rams walk yeah. away, and it hurt. Believe me. Uh, I think my wife has heard a lot of those stories <laughs> laying in bed at night. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I know you drew a toke permit this year, and your your goal is to get a nice ram. There, yeah. You know? Well, when I drew that, I drew that uh, one time. I told you I flew into that Charlie Boyd strip. and um, But I've always just, like I said, I've, I've bow hunted sheep for so many years. I, I was mentally prepared mm-hmm. for not success, right? I yeah. Mean, I mean, like I said, it's mental and physical therapy, yeah. right? But it is a coveted tag. And but anyway, I showed up. I had my my recurve all broken down, stuffed in my pack, right? Well, Jim Cummings flew us in there at <laughs> so Where's Eagle. your gun? <laughs> well, we land on the strip and we get out, and he all of a sudden goes in panic mode. Oh my God, we forgot your gun. You know, I, I didn't even notice you didn't have your rifle. God. You know, he was all panicked. I said, no, don't worry about it. I've got, I've got my bow in my pack. Yeah. And he says, you, you just got a bow? And I said, yeah, it's in my pack. I'll put it together and everything. He says, you didn't bring a rifle? And I said, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, we're, we're going to give this a go. And I, I actually should have had a ram on that hunt too, but I had three really good stocks. But anyway, but that's the mentality, you know, I just didn't, uh, I just go with a bow, you know, if, that was, yeah. if I was going to make it happen. And that's what I'm going to have to do. And, yeah. and and like you mentioned, not to say that you expect to not be successful because I think, you know, your mental outlook and knowing that you can do something yeah, is a big deal. Yeah. But just being realistic, it's like, you know, if I t- yeah. when I start taking my bow, chances are I'm probably not going to be coming home with a sheep right. initially. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, it can but happen. Being, and, and I feel like I'm getting a lot closer to the point of being, oak. well, yeah. two years ago, I passed up three different Rams that were in range. Just, they weren't what I was right. wanting and came home without one that year. Right. So I think I'm getting closer. Closer to be, <laughs> having to be able to take it. Yeah. And you know, like it's, it's a patient game and if they're not in an area, I mean, you know, I like to have little rock croppings and stuff like that, but if. If they're not in an area that you can stalk them, I mean, truthfully, you have no business trying because you know what they do when you do spook them and blow them out of there. Um, they're over the next ridge and long gone, you know, and it's yeah. it's tough on you. 
you're better wait just to enjoy the i always tell them when i can't move on them and i'm watching them i appreciate the uh, the movie ticket i hope yeah. you're enjoying it as much as i am you know because just sitting there with the spotter and you know watching them for hours and hours and hours and like uh like me and brock my son brock you've met him but mm -hmm. we we drew those october tags um last year down in the chugach mountains and yeah uh, that's a whole different ball game there because it's an october hunt mm -hmm. and we really we really got back into some remote country we were all the way back in the headwaters of peters creek which is 17 miles back in there oh wow and uh we did find a couple good rams but this is another thing where a lot of those good rams are they'll nestle in, into a back bowl mm -hmm. right well in a back bowl, you can't approach them. I mean, you just can't get to them mm -hmm. without them seeing you, you know, because they're, they're in the, unless they move, you know. Well, these two rams we were watching for days, they, they just stayed in that back bowl. We couldn't get on them. And, yeah. Uh, like I said, there's no way you're going to go up over and around and over the top of the cheek yeah. edge. That is castle, rock, glaciated, very, uh, it's pretty intimidating. It's some yeah. rough country. I felt like I was in the Himalayas. Yeah. I mean, I really did. It was like, because we had a, we had a, actually got in there through Eagle River, walking through the, fa the famous Ram Valley. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's yeah. part of that 123 tag mm -hmm. that is world famous. But we walked that five miles up Ram Valley and then hopped over a pass into Eagle River. But in October, that's not fun because of the snow and ice. So yeah. it's very dangerous. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't like it. I probably wouldn't do it again. I'd probably just hoof the bottom yeah. and be safe, you know. But uh, we kind of, you know, but we didn't get a ram out. Brock had four stocks on that hunt, though, but um, and uh, just didn't get close enough, you know. But you know. And I think, you know, obviously, like, a, and one thing I'll be considering, whether it's going to country I know or trying to, the more stocks you can get the better your odds oh, are yeah. um i think it's all probably just going to be a balance of patience and waiting for the right yeah you know having multiple options mm -hmm. you know you know some country mm -hmm. where you got mm -hmm. you may have three four different legal rams you can Play look around. at within a day's walk and and See get it. And I used to, that's why I'm a little bummed because back in my early days, I could find valleys like that. Yeah. And we stayed busy chasing rams all the time, me and my buddy Pat, but I just wasn't smart of what I was doing. I, yeah. I was trying trying to rush everything and I shouldn't have, uh, you know, but we would find valleys that had 10, 12 rams scattered all over. We could always have a stock a day. Yeah. Nowadays, it's a lot tougher. I mean, the last two years... I besides that Chugach hunt, but you know my my other walking areas, I can't even find a legal ram. A lot of it's due to predation, but also hunting pressure. You know. Yeah, so. yeah, that and you know, there's been some winter winter die offs yeah. in yeah. in recent years in a few areas. Yeah, and that that makes it tough. You know, I mean, and even for rifle hunting, yeah. you know, when you may have to walk, you know, walk sixty seventy miles and find one legal ram. Yeah. You know, it, it's still usually, if you're patient know what you're doing, you can get them. Right. But when <laughs> when you could only maybe find one or two legal rams on a whole trip with a bow, it makes it a whole, takes oh, up yeah. to a whole new That's level. That's why I stress patience, because if you, you don't want to, 
screw up your opportunity, you know. And I, and if you have a successful stock and it doesn't work out, you don't get a shot off or you miss or something. You know, the positive is that your stock was good. Yeah. The stock's the most important, right? You got to make you got to get close enough to shoot them. Yeah, and, uh, they're really they're the the you know I've hunted a lot of critters even down the states and stuff. They are uh, they're just uh, to me the hardest critter to get with a bow. They're just not inducive to a bow all the time yeah you know and and it's a physical strain so can you hang in there you know yeah yeah now my you know my my last ram my biggest ram i got you've seen that that old ram oh, he was yeah. like 14 years old but you know um i don't know if i've told too many people I'm, i know brock knows you know i missed that ram on the ninth day of that hunt i had 20 oh. i took i took a vacation i had three weeks off and I uh, hiked into some area that, you know, I had to cross a pretty good oversized creek to, you know, hunt this one valley I like. And I hadn't seen nothing in there. And then, uh, but I was holed up. It was a solo hunt again. I was holed up in there. And lo and behold, the uh, these three rams showed up, you know. And I put the spotter on that when I go, yeah. holy moly. <laughs> Yeah, that was a one looker. Yeah, and uh, I, uh, I, uh, and you know, I'd suffered a lot of rain and stuff that hunt. I mean, it was always miserable weather that hunt. Lo and behold, they started working their way up, and and I, I thought I could intercept them and stuff, and uh, I, I did. I mean, I got it was probably a thirty yard uphill shot, twenty eight yards, yeah. something like that. But they were single file. And there was a big boulder in front of me, you know, right up by them, kind of in front of the trail they were using. Mm -hmm. And I had got up there, and they were just, I didn't have a lot of time. I, I just got up there trying to catch my breath, and here they come single file through that trail. And that big one stopped just behind that boulder, but I could see his body pretty good. But, you know, shooting uphill, your arrow has a lot of tendency to fall out in the yeah. sky a little faster. Yeah. And uh, I thought I would... You know, thought that was my chance, so I took a shot. I ended up hitting it at rock, glancing yeah. off the top of it, and actually oh. sending that arrow into nowhere land. And those rams took off and went up over the top. And I just told myself I just missed the biggest ram, I, you know, one of the biggest rams I've ever seen. So I went back to my camp and stuff, and it started snowing that night. But I just said, oh, "Man, I just." <clears throat> I want another crack at that rain, yeah. you know, and I end up being holed up for like four days in a snowstorm and uh, just got out of the tent, walked around 30 yards. From the Was tent. that 2013? 12 or 13. I think 12, maybe. 2012 yeah, one of 13. those. Cause maybe one of, 2013. Because that was, yeah, 13, we were, I was up in, yeah, and we got just Buried hammered with snow, with snow yeah. and rain. Well, like on the fifth day, the sun broke out and, you know, because it was kind of raining and snowing, but it, we had snow and I couldn't hunt because of the fog and everything. You know how it is. You can mm -hmm. get holed up in the tent. And I had time off. So I said, well, what the heck? I'll just see if I can. So I climbed to the top of that mountain, kind of where they went over like four or five days later. And I did speak see a couple of sheep but they they were bedded and their heads were hidden behind rock i couldn't tell what they were so i sat on them all day and then finally they got up and they were just a couple little sickle horns yeah. you know so i'm kind of 
thinking, man, should I bag it, you know, because I'm almost two weeks into this hunt. And I look over on the next mountain over. There's a single ram, and he's lower. He's halfway down. I put the spotter on him, and uh, that was him. Oh, man. And I said, that's Blackie, because I, I, I named him that because his horns were so dark. Yeah. You know? I said, that's Blackie right there, and he was by himself. So um, I was able to uh, skinny over there and get on the mountain he was on and then stay in the bottom of this wash, you know, way below him. And, and that's another thing. you gotta, you got you to gotta locate him before he locates you. So I mm-hmm. didn't really know the level yeah. before I started cutting over on him. So when I did decide to cut over, I just really one step at a time and just barely peeked over the horizons, you mm-hmm. know. And I did, I, I located him before he located me, and he he was about 75 yards above me. So I backed off and then planned my route, and I just made it to boulder to boulder, and it was raining. I mean, believe it or not, I had my raincoat on, too. You know, I didn't even, I was so close, I didn't want to even take the time to take stuff off. And yeah. I just thought, well, I'm just going to go really slow, and, and I had to go through a boulder field, and, and uh, I just went from boulder to boulder, and he just had his head down. He'd look up every now and then for that 30-second stare everywhere. And when it was fine, he'd put his head back down for a couple minutes. And I'd make a next boulder, the next boulder. Well, I end up getting about, I'm guessing, 27, 30 yards away. I don't know. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, I'm out of cover. His head is down. I see the top of his back. As soon as he raises up, I'm, I'm going to get a shot. Yeah, I mean, this is my shot opportunity at this guy again. So I'm all nestled in and got my arrow ready, and you know, because I have no cover. I mean, it's just you know, I'm at the last little bowler, and I got my arrow ready and everything. And he he picks his head up, and he starts walking right to me. Oh man! So this is another thing. Not that I, you know, I might have made that shot where he was. You know, I'm gonna, was going to try and. But I can't tell you I'm 100% sure I would have made it. He sure made it easier for me yeah. because that's when the sheep did something good for me, right? He started walking toward me, and I ended up shooting him at like 17 steps. Oh, man. And uh, arrow went right through the, you know, quartering to me, but it went all the way through him. And when he ran by me, you know, I could see the red spot, and then he kind of went over this little rock cropping, and uh, I said, oh. Oh my God! I think I just shot him. I think I just shot Black. Yeah. you know, and uh, that was like seventeenth or nineteenth day of that hunt. Oh wow! I, I was pretty mentally fried. Yeah, you know? and I I walked over that rock cropping after I quit shaking, and God, it was a beautiful little tundra slope. Mm-hmm. You know, right? There. I mean, it's all rocky where I was, and then I go over this little ridge he ran into. It was a beautiful little tundra slope with a little creek running through it. And uh, I seen him rolling down there. and Oh, man. So I even had a little creek to wash up in and everything. And, uh, yeah, so that was, I uh, got him and and uh, almost drowned getting back out yeah. there. Um, All the runoff. That same year, yeah, we had <clears throat> some issues, yeah. to say the least, with, <clears throat> with some of the st- streams that are normally about shin deep. Oh, they were, yeah. Like that this- kept, that is that same year, that kept was what prevented my buddy Steve from killing this big ram that we had. I think that was the fourth year we had seen him and tried to kill him. Oh, wow. We figured he was 43 oh, at that point. That dream ram right there. Yep. 
Steve had him all day down, had come way down low on this hillside across there right. at about six, 700 yards. And if he'd have been able to get across that creek, he could have got to him, could have got him pretty easy. And then yeah. did see him. I thought I was going to get him the last night of that hunt with Man. two other rams feeding feeding down this side canyon. We were I was going with Steve and my buddy Tim up because they were going to shoot two out of this band climbing up the hill and see him way up the canyon and right. through the snow. And they were feeding over around to a side canyon, and I hustled up there and poked over the knife back ridge. They're going to be 300 yards, oh. pop over, and there's only two of them there, and it's the two smaller ones. No and way. it was the last night we'd be able to still hunt right at dark. Right. And uh, so I shot the bigger of the two small ones, and he was 36 and 9, and the other one just dwarfed. He, he was huge. And he wasn't for two there. He no, didn't come sprinting he, out? He, no, no, I believe me. I, I picked that whole hillside. I spent about right. 20 minutes like, where are you? The only thing, I, he must have just turned around and went the other way. Right. Yeah, just and he he's did. got that sense, you know, sometimes. And there was. Two years before that, I had the crosshairs on him at 400 yards, you know, yeah. and very comfortable at that distance and on a bipod and right, right. told Steve to get him to stand up because his horn was in the way and he didn't oh. stop till he went over the top of the mountain. That's how they are. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to chase sheep. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And that's, well, man, just one thing. I, with a lot of stuff and shot, shot a few moose and, and quite a few bears with my bow and. I can control it pretty well, right? You know, in that. But I was wondering, man, how, after knowing how much effort it is just sheep hunting in general. But when you finally get there, and you're in range, you're like, I'm going to sling an arrow at this thing. (laughs) I hope I can hold it together at that point. Oh yeah, you probably. It'll it'll be a (laughs) test, that's for sure. But you're pretty good shot, so you'll probably be fine. The, uh, the. have, when you pack out your sheep, is it one trip or two trips, or how'd you do it? No. If I can do them two trips anymore, I do it. Um, no, my first ram, I did it in two trips. But, you know, even the trip empty going back is tough. Yeah. Because, you know, you're climbing up into a drainage, right? And it's yeah. Just, I was tuckered out. So this last, that big ram, I got him back to camp the next day. Yeah. And I just sat up there. I just had to kind of chill, and, and I just... And I boned them out, and I was just playing around with them, gaping them out. And I'm trying to mentally think, should I try to pack this? Yeah. People do it. Should I try to pack this thing out in one trip? Because I really didn't want to do two trips. Yeah. And uh, then I talked myself into it. I said, well, I think I'll just try it one trip and uh, just go slow. You know, the hardest part is getting off the mountain. Yeah. You know. But, you know, when I got home, my pack weighed like 130 pounds. Yeah. And uh, But when I got to that creek... I had like three creek crossings, like like you said, it wasn't knee deep anymore. It was waist deep. Yeah, and not clear. Yeah, you, you can't know? see the bottom. And uh, well, I'd forgot to unbuckle my, you know, the chest strap yeah. on the pack. I always unbuckle the waist strap because you know. Yep. And I'm going across there, and uh, and another thing is too is I, I uh. You know, I had a hiking stick, you know, a telescopic hiking stick. Well, anyway, I get halfway across the creek, and, um, you know, I'm not going to make it. I, I end up stumbling and fall. Yeah. And I was pinned down oh, with this 130-pound pack underwater, gasping for air. 
uh, I thought I had met my maker there, Boy. right? And I, I was fumbling around, and I could tell that it was pulling on my chest, and I ended up undoing it underwater, rolling with the current, and it peeled it off my my back, and I was able to just grab the shoulder strap with one arm and get back to the bank I started at. Yeah. Of course, I was a mess, and, you know, the pack was super heavy. Now I had to drain it, and then I lost my hiking stick and went raging down the creek, and... uh and then I said, okay, I'll just build a fire right here, calm down, you know. Well, I was using a, a Go Light Shangri-Li TP tent. Yeah. Well, my hike stick was my center oh. pole. <laughs> so now I always bring two of them, but then I did not oh, have two man. of them. So now I couldn't even set the tent up, right? So then I just took a hike and chilled out and uh, left the pack there and went about a third of a mile down the river. I found a better crossing. And ended up end up crossing it, but yeah. man, I was when I got to the other side, I was I was so happy. Right. And those <laughs> and those little trekking poles, I used to think they were the stupidest thing, but started so, using one, and then I was bring two now. And for crossing yeah. that nasty stuff, two is so nice. Oh, two you is know, nice. You can really it really helps. Yeah. I uh, that reminded me, not near as life threatening a story, but the very first sheep hunt where my cousin and I were packing that ram out. And, oh, of course, you know, for, I was 18 years old, first sheep hunt, a bunch of cotton right. stuff. And yeah, just, we uh, it's, we had good weather, and then it started raining, you know, basically rained the whole hike out, and we were crossing this one creek and had brought way too much gear. And my cousin, big old heavy backpacking, crossed this creek, and it was only, you know, I wasn't very deep, but kind of a cut bank on the other side and he starts climbing up and falls over on his back in the creek the water running over his chest <laughs> like a turtle but uh, oh, it just yeah. reminded me of that but yeah so i take creek crossings and stuff very serious now yeah you know because that was probably the closest thing i've ever got to the uh didn't know if I was going to get out of it, you know, but, uh, cause I couldn't pick, I couldn't pick myself up. No. Yeah. I had to roll out of it, you know, but, uh, yeah. So when you're back in that back country and the weather's been raining for 10 days, you got to realize whatever you cross going in, it's probably going to be twice as big coming out, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I've, I always am pretty picky on crossings. I like really taking my time to, even if I've got to go out there without a pack on and feel it out and, yeah. You know, guys like us are fairly tall and make makes it a little easier. Yeah. And I, a lot of trips, I carry those little, those hip waders that you put on over uh, your boots. Wiggies or, or these ones are those Neos. They're a little yeah. heavier, but they got a nice sole on them. Sole yeah. on them, and yeah. And with my buddy Frank, he's a lot shorter than I am. So, <clears throat> oh, one time I think we were packing his ram out of Delta, crossing Jarvis Creek, and. I, I had to have him cross downstream of me so I could break water so it wouldn't go over his boots. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah that stuff. And yeah, I was using my, my – I didn't have a walking stick now because you got to feel the bottom, yeah. right? Because you can't see. that it's still muddy flooded. Yeah. So I was using my bow, and I didn't give a – I said, I could buy a new yeah. bow. I just want to get across this creek. So I'm jabbing the tip of it in the gravel and stuff and trying to write. I'll get halfway across and it goes bling. It comes unstrung, you oh, know. Oh man! And uh, but like I said, I didn't care. It yeah. Was still, I made it. You know. Yeah. Scuffed up the tip a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was it's worth funny. It. Some of that stuff, you, you know, goes out <laughs> the window. Or some guys, some guys and their rifles just 
have to keep it like they have to keep the new on it. I'm yeah. not so much like that. <laughs> oh, sheep hunting's rough on. I uh, I know Brock brought his uh, Black Widow. You know that he got a brand new, but you know I told him, listen, look at that big horn of mine. You know, sheep hunting is it's, it's rough on equipment. You're going to get it. It's just hard to keep everything perfect. And that's yeah. one thing I like about, and I plan on taking my ILF bow, this yeah. uh, you know metal riser bow, and you can be it can take some yeah. serious abuse. Yeah, and why I like you know shooting yeah. veins too myself. Well, it make it easier for the uh, you know I. I scotch guard them up best I can, and, you know, I put a feather protector on them yeah. when I'm, uh, you know, I do pretty good with it. Yeah. You know? So I've, I've made it, I've made it work. And uh, the, uh, but like, I, I, you know, I'd love to, uh, my son to get one. He's really anxious to get, get a, get a sheep with a bow. But I told him, you know, I don't, I can't, it's going to take a while probably. And, you know, right now we're not finding the sheep that way, that I was, able to find back in the day but uh um, it didn't come easy for dad it probably isn't going to come yeah for you <laughs> game of persistence yeah i don't know when i when i do it I, and i i was planning on doing it this year till i drew that tag but yeah yeah my uh, that's my my cop out <laughs> but well, uh, it's a good tag i wish i could draw that again i had a good hunt there and uh but that's a t you know that's a tough tag to draw yeah and uh and, but and then I did it so many years ago. It's probably not the same, you know, as it was. You know, so you know, how you get to an area. Oh man, we've seen all this here. Yeah. Well, then you know, you go back there, and it's like, where are they at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, have you? I was going to ask you too. Have you ever tried getting up on them at night? Like, um, I mean, we've tried that with, with you know rifle hunting them. Sometimes we've been able to get pretty dang close to them. You know, you know, up in the brooks, even when it's not pitch black, but it, they get all. It seems like the when they're bedded down for the night is the longest time right. they're bedded, and it's you know they, you got to watch thermals and mm -hmm. stuff. I'm sure, but it seems like they just aren't. They quite don't as, pick you up quite as quick. Yeah, I, it probably the, that dusky light. I think it. I think that's true. I've noticed that. And of course, you know, fog mm -hmm. really screws them up. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, even a, a light fog, I mean, I've been able to get on, cover some ground and sheep that if it was clear, I wouldn't have even got to it. Yeah. That point, you know, but uh, um, I was, after I, we got home last year, I said, I told Brock, you know, we probably could have tried something on that two gag hunt when those two rams were in that back bowl for three days or we couldn't get get into that back bowl is just get up in the middle of the night but yeah i mean october it's dark I yeah mean, it's you're, you're you'd be going up into that that bowl by just flicking your flashlight on and off but in the dark trying to get up you know try to maybe get up on there yeah in there without them seeing you because there's no other way to do it but october in the middle of the night is friggin' cold oh yeah <laughs> yeah well in country like that too you know there's a lot of stuff that's a little gentler, you know, yeah. it just would depend on the situation. I, I would definitely wouldn't be above trying that if I thought it lined yeah. up to where I could get. Right. If the, but those rams weren't moving, they were safe and that's why they're big. Cause they just, they're in that, they're nestled in that back bowl. They can see everything coming down the valley and they know nothing's coming up over the top. So yep. yeah, they had it, you know, pr pretty good. So. But we could have maybe tried the night thing. 
Yeah. Like you said, that might have that might have worked, but yeah. I haven't tried it. I'm but. trying trying to leave all the options on the table and you know, whether or not you gotta stay up all night and yeah. to do that. You know, that was a really cold hunt and uh I mean it was it was cold the whole time. And uh, you know, I developed pneumonia when I got oh, back. Oh man. So I was down for a couple of weeks <laughs> with pneumonia. Yeah, it was that was one of the hunts that you had to put the you know, fill the walk the jet boil up before you went to bed throw it in your sleeping bag well it was frozen in the morning oh you know so you could yeah and uh yeah it was it was probably one of the coldest hunts consistently you know day in day out you you were cold yeah you know the, uh, that yeah that adds a whole nother level of difficulty to it yeah but uh but it was a good experience good journey you know so i'm uh I'm not really a check-the-box kind of guy, but, you know, I've been putting in for sheep permits in the States for a lot of years. So I'm hoping to maybe someday draw a desert tag, you know. Yeah, that'd be cool. I think I I just, I got 27 points in Arizona, but it don't matter if you don't have, I think you need 28 or 29 for the, huh. for the uh, max pool. But and then I got 18 in Nevada, but I yeah. keep trying. Yeah. You know? I like to do that. So... Yeah. Well, I sure appreciate you sitting down with oh, me and always yeah. love hearing sheep stories and I'm yeah. probably going to be picking your brain oh. more and more as that, that comes closer. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think one of the smartest things a guy can do is just try and get any little tidbits of advice oh. or information from guys that have been there and done yeah. that. Yeah. At uh, any time, give me a call, Tyler, that, uh, like I said, and you know, let's, You've done a lot of sheep hunting, so you know patience is going to be your be your friend. Yeah, you know, um, no reason to rush it. And you know, if there's people pressure, sometimes you have to push a little bit. But you know, if there's no people pressure, patience. Yeah, I mean, just watch them, and you know, you're not going to booger them up if you don't. Uh, you know, if you just watch them and pattern them, and then try to find out where they're going and. Yeah, you know, a bull hunter's got to get close, so he's got to have cover. So, you know, if they're not in a stockable place, they'll get there. They'll be in yeah. a little wash or something, you know. Yep. Just got to wait them out. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, cool. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you have any feedback, questions, or comments, you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com. Thanks for listening.